Welcome to the Remote Teacher Podcast, where we chat all things remote outback teaching. You can find more on www.theremoteteacher.com.au, on our Facebook group, Teachers in Remote Communities, Past, Present and Future, and of course, on our podcast, which you're listening to now. Remember, you can download this podcast onto your device and listen on your long trips out to remote communities. Excited to introduce you to Holly Ann from Safe for Kids for this episode. So welcome to the Remote Teacher Podcast. I'm really excited to have Holly Ann with me today from Safe for Kids. Welcome, Holly Ann. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, I'm excited that we finally get to have you on because you've got so much value and, and people over on the Remote Teacher um sorry, teachers in remote communities, past, present and future Facebook page rave about your professional development and the work you do with their kids. So it's exciting to have you on. Yeah, I'm um, I'm a bit lucky, especially in the territory. I've made so many beautiful friends and, um, you know, they keep getting me back because they just see the, you know, it's not just about abuse prevention. It's, you know, the change in the behaviour of the children because we're giving them language. They don't have to belt anyone. So, Rather than just seeing it as a, a sexual abuse prevention program, um, you know, it's used as their school-wide positive behaviours and, and mm. stuff like that. So, and you're um, empowering yes. students through the language, yes, and through that exactly. confidence and through that um, authority of their own body and that control of their own body. Wonderful. Well, my first question for you is, you've had an interesting journey into this business. Could you explain your, your path to becoming safe for kids? Well, I um, was a teacher assistant working in special ed and um, we always, even before Protective Behaviours came to Australia, we always knew special needs kids were at greater risk of being abused than mainstream children. Mm. So for, you know, before it came, we were teaching public and private and things like that and then um, I was at a school where they had a critical incident um, of a volunteer bus aide who was also a foster carer was abusing kids on the special needs bus. So we were one of the first schools in WA trained in protective behaviours. And for 25 years, I taught it to the children that I'd worked with. But in 2007, I went up into two remote communities in the Kimberley where some horrific stuff was all over the front page of our West Australian. And so I went up there in my long service leave, um, saw just a huge need for resources and and training and stuff so I took a quarter of a million dollar loan out of my home and quit my job and have been doing it full-time ever since. Mm, wonderful and, and you raised the the issue of students with special needs being vulnerable and because when we work in remote community schools there's often a high percentage of students with special needs so students in remote communities can therefore perhaps be vulnerable as well that's Totally, and especially, you know, I've worked a lot up in the Kimberley um, and, you know, a lot of children with FASD and Mm. they're more likely to be abused because they're moving around, because of their behaviours, but they're also more likely to be, um, go on to abuse other children because of the the damage to the frontal lobe and they don't, you know, they don't have that impulse control and things like that. And I was really blessed. Um, I was in Fitzroy Crossing and, and Sue Thomas, who wrote the FASD. Yes, Marilu strategy. strategy. Yes. Um, actually sat in and, and got, you know, and has actually said the Safe for Kids program is best practice for children like that because of the repetition, the clear 
you know, there's no ambiguous, you know, we're not being ambiguous. We're very clear rules around it and also writing social stories to, um, for that I had to, I had the Alice Springs police ring me. Um, they had an eight-year-old who was abusing children in his community and he did have those day and um, they said, Holly, what do we do? We've got an eight-year-old sex offender. And apart from my, you know, hating to hear that, Mm. Because he's just a, a kid that doesn't know the rules. So I wrote a social story. Um, you know, private means just to me, turn the page. I'm not allowed to touch anybody's private parts, turn the page. It's against the law. No one's allowed to show me private pictures, turn the page. It's against the law. And it's that, you know, that repetition. Clear, yes. And, mm. you know, it was written both in um, English and they also had it translated into language. So, you know, there is so much we can do with giving kids the language, you know, no matter who they are. Um, but also one of the really important things for me is when I go into a community, um, it has to be a whole of community approach because, you know, people need to understand why the children are doing this and, and they need to know the language that the children are hearing. Mm. So we can't expect a five or six year old to keep themselves safe. It's adults' jobs. Yes. And so it's not, you're not coming in as this top-down approach. You're working with community to empower community. And and it, we're not um, generalising, stereotyping and saying that remote communities or First Nations people are bad or worse or anything like that. It's about empowering and, and recognising these these areas where we can build on strengths and, and protect children. And you work across Australia, don't you? But because this podcast is remote context, we're discussing That's right. And to be honest, a lot of my work is in remote communities, but only because of word of mouth. Um, unfortunately that in one community, um, I'd been, I've been there probably seven times and one of the elders every now and then goes to the principal, that time you got that porn woman back. So I go to some porn woman. I talk about, you know, the effects of pornography on children. And, you know, I've run over 70 workshops with solely Aboriginal men. Mm. And, yeah, so it's quite funny. But the power of that, the power of that, like you said, of being able to go back again and again, build these relationships, get that consistency and have this language and these ways of being as a long-term thing is is very powerful. You're supporting generational. um, Yes. Wow. Wonderful. You know, like Hermansburg, I've been going there. Um, every year since 2009, I think. Mm. And, you know, it, it's the, there, it's the, I, I spend a lot of time with the teacher assistants because us white fellas, we come and go. But those assistants, that's where the, you know, I sit down with them and I always check that, you know, are you comfortable with this content? Um, thank you for your help with translating and stuff like that. So, but, the spin-off is, yeah, they work at the school, but they work with the family group. So that's how you make genera- intergenerational change is through empowering those workers. And, you know, I'm just so grateful that um, – and when I say, you know, I was a teacher assistant, I go, oh, what, you were one of us. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. And the reason I have to go back is because of sometimes the turnover in, you know, in teachers – Mm, yes. Some of those teacher assistants have been there 25 years. Yes. Which raises one of the huge issues in remote teaching, doesn't it? That, that we, um, we do have this high rate of turnover. And I think the average stay is nine months for a, um, remote teacher. So 
you know, the, the likelihood of us staying long term as teachers from outside community is very low. But empowering, like you said, those local staff that have been there 25 years. Wow. What an excellent program. And they come and they say, Holly, can you give us a list of those words? Like I was at Yundamu and then I went out to up Lajimanu and here's my feelings poster on the word, on the wall translated into Walpreet. I was so proud. You know, that wasn't me saying you have to do this. Mm. They said, Holly, give us those words and they take ownership of it. Yes. And that's, you know, one of the proudest things for me. In fact, I, you know, I teared up when I saw it because you know, that's where when they take ownership of it and they benefit, they see the benefit of it. Um, and, you know, once I've got them on board, like I was out at um, Kintor and, you know, they went and rounded up all the women and all the men for the workshops because they just love it so they much. They value the answer mm. for their children. So people listening to the podcast can't see me nodding very enthusiastically to lots of what you're saying here. But but for new teachers who are heading out remote, this is where where power and change happens. It's through empowering local people and, and grassroots learning and, and um, buy-in and relationships. It sounds like you've got excellent relationships all across NT and the Kimberley and Australia-wide. Mm. So... Because your um, programs come so highly recommended, can you share more details for these new teachers, how you support remote teachers, students and communities? What, how can they plug into you? What, what do you offer for them? So we've actually written a curriculum at the moment that um, a lot of the, um, the census desert schools have. Um, it was actually written for childcare centres, to be honest, um, but it's based on a 10-week lesson plan. And it comes in a big black box with, you know, it's linked to the EYLF and the national framework and the national curriculum and everything. But it's um, a 10-week lesson plan, but for each, so there's 10 concepts. For each of the concepts, there's five separate lessons. Um, and like I said, a lot of centers, a lot of schools have got that in the centres particularly, but I'm actually working on a whole curriculum solely for remote communities which is also a 10-week lesson plan. But what I've done is um, I've videoed myself delivering the program um, to cam- place to camera, like play school. And then so I do the, the, initial length, the initial lesson, but then there's a follow-up activity that the teachers will do with the children. So it's from pre-primary to grade six at the moment. And... Um, It'll, you know, I talk a little bit and then the teacher will stop and do the brainstorm with the kids and then they'll come back to Miss Holly and things like that. Um, but what I've also included is at the back of that, this is how you do it in English, in maths, in science, in art, in all learning areas, because I can do protective behaviour six and a half hours a day across all, you know, the whole day. And so I want to, teachers to internalise the language and then it just becomes part of your normal teaching pedagogy. You don't need to think about it. It needs to become part of the school pedagogy and then it will become part of the community pedagogy because the other thing we've done is I've um, filmed a 20-minute almost um, induction type thing. So if communities have, you know, a football group come out to the school, you know what the children are like. They'll be hanging off them. They'll be on their shoulders. They'll be all over them. But it's going to, you know, the idea is any visitor to the school can sit down for 20 minutes and go, right, this is our expectations, you know, do not pick up our kids, do not take photos of our kids, all of the stuff that we need because 
we don't know who those people are. Wow. And mm. consent for me is one of the biggest things about the program that um and the other cool thing is for your listeners, um, I've made nine songs with kids in remote communities. So hopefully I can put that link to that in the show notes. Yes. But in a Mampa we made the consent song, which is phenomenal. Um, but you know, we need to teach consent from a, a really young age because especially kids out bush, they're used to just people picking them up and doing stuff with them. And yet, um, and, and then when they're teenagers, you know, I was in one school and, and I had um, the 14-year-old young fellas and they admitted they were watching two hours a week of porn. And I said, fellas, why would you look at that? Oh, to learn technique, miss, to learn style. Back it up, boys. There's no kissing, there's no foreplay, there's no pleasure for women and 88% of pornography is violence against women, but there's no mm. consent. Wow. Wow. And so if we can teach, you know, these these volunteers or whoever's coming into the school, you no, know, I would never give a child a high five. I don't just put up my hand and say, can I give you a high five? I'm modelling the whole time about consent because I mean, we had a big hoo-ha last year with um, the amazing Chanel Kintos, Kintos, I can't say her name probably, but anyway, um, when she did that survey and, and you know, six, over 6,000 young women signed it to say that they were attacked in mainstream, very prestigious boys' schools and stuff. Mm. Um, our girls out bush wouldn't have got to say their experiences. Yes. But consent this year is going to get very sexy. Um, mm. It did with that terrible milkshake. Um, did you see the milkshake thing that the government did? Oh, oh, oh no. I managed to avoid all that. Te- I heard the terrible things, but I managed to avoid watching it. Oh, no. Yes. But it's, it's so um, as, as of 2023, they've just updated the national curriculum to say that, you know, now we're all doing consent. We've been doing it for years, but um, I, I still worry that they're still talking about consent in a sexual way it's yes consent's not about sex consent is about body autonomy very much so so just to backtrack on what you've said you offer um one-on-one support you've got the plug Sorry, and got like, no no i love everything you said it was excellent but just making sure that i've i've processed and and the listeners are on board with it so you offer um professional development you offer plug and play where you do the talking and then the the teacher does the activities. So if they're not confident, if they're new, if they're worried about planning and and are overwhelmed with all the stuff they've got to deliver um, in the workload when you're remote, you've got that plug and play program for them, ready to go. Yeah. All of the worksheets, everything's there. They literally, so um, it's still in production at the moment. We're hoping that it will be up um, by second term, fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, but also for your listeners, I have um, a, a Facebook group, um, a closed Facebook group, which is called the Safe for Kids Educators Community, it's so original, um, it's where I'm always sharing free research. And in 2020, I actually went live every Sunday for 10 weeks and did all of this free training. So if the listeners aren't, you know, up with um, protective behaviours or how to teach it to children, they're just 20-minute little videos that they can all go and watch in the guide section. But then I've also got links to the free resources. Um, they get an overview of my 10-week lesson plan. It's all hyperlinked to, you know, all the songs and stuff like that because 
I'm only one person and if I can, so it's about um, 2,800 teachers and educators in there, but if people are listening and they want to join, um, if they've got any questions, you know, I'm more than happy to jump in and do a Facebook Live or I just want to support people because protective behaviour, I call it protective education because I've incorporated cyberbullying and all this sort of stuff as well. Um, I believe it needs to be every school's priority. You know, in second term, we're all going to be in the fetal position because we're all doing the NAPLAN and everybody's, <laughs> you know, stressing about that. Yeah. For your listeners, and especially your um, graduates who are just going out and starting on this journey, you can be the best, most dynamic teacher in the world. But hopefully they've done some sort of trauma-informed practice. Mm. If a child's in trauma... Nothing's going in because the cortisol in their brain is blocking it. They're getting ready to run out of that classroom. Mm -hmm. You know, many of your long-term listeners have had the experience where they've just gone to put their hand on a child's shoulder and the child's flinched as if somebody's going to slap them across the head. Mm -hmm. Kids living with domestic violence and some of the children that they're going to be faced with will have suffered so much trauma. So if we can get kids feeling safe at school, if we can be using this language, if we can be giving them the strategies, you know, just simple strategies, like one of my favourite strategies that I've been teaching the children is I get them to pretend that they're holding a hot, hot cup of Milo, which, you know, everybody, every kid out bushes experience. Yes. Um, and, you know, if they start to feel themselves a bit before they blow their lid, if they imagine and it's just a breathing activity, but it's a visualisation. So I get them to close their eyes and, you know, breathe in that chocolatey goodness and then and I blow across the cup sort of like I'm pretending I'm, I'm trying to be visual with you. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, and just get them to do that four or five times to help them calm down. And so, you know, these simple trauma-informed practices will change everything for, especially for the, the graduates who might not have had as much trauma which I love about this aspect of the conversation because it's it's not just the protective behaviors it's about um, being an inclusive and supportive teacher and classroom and it's and like I think you were saying before it's about across the board general education and and supporting our students across the board very powerful I'm just going to um duck back to what you said about that induction video and the importance of that because you are very true about um, young people being eager to see the the new guest speakers or the visitors or whoever it is and and not yet understanding boundaries and and um, and the idea of consent so as um, new visitors to remote community it's sometimes perceived as like oh wow I'm, I'm welcome and and this is exciting and good. The kids are all over me and look at the little selfies I can get and all those those aspects of it. But the importance of consent and the importance, like you said, of modelling boundaries and modelling acceptable interactions because, like, um, the remote communities that I've worked on have been um, tourist destinations or, you know, on a main stretch. And so we get truckers through, tourists through, lots of strangers through that, you know, um, not saying that people who have been... Um, like checked by the school perhaps are safer or better but but there are lots of people coming through that might not be safe this is a very important thing so the induction is a a, a great idea I would never have even considered or thought about it but it's very powerful Hmm. but also you know we need to model it I've had lots of arguments I hate to say this 
And I've had lots of arguments with teachers that say, oh, but Holly, if I don't hug the kids, nobody will. And, you know, I see teachers getting children and putting them on their laps. Mm. That's not the children's needs being met. That's your needs being met. Yes. And they say, oh, you know, but my understanding, when I talk to local people, they don't want us hugging their children. They have real concerns about it. And my argument says, well, if I don't do it, nobody will. That might be true, but the children can't distinguish between us and the guy that comes to fix the photocopier or the, you know, the sparky or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, And it's also teaching child, young people that the only way to experience, um, you know, love or affection is to accept people hugging them or grabbing them or touching them and that there aren't other ways that you can show affection, care and respected respectable relationships as well that's very good point sorry continue but also it's usually the cute little girls and you know um ones that are probably getting their needs met but you know the ones that i want everybody to know that behavior they're not naughty children behavior is communication yes they they don't know how to ask us for help so the kids that need us the most test us the most so it's the ones that are climbing out the window and you know out the FASD kids that are picking your toenail polish off and bashing everybody, they're not the ones that are being sat on people's knees and they're probably the ones that need it the most as well. So I, I need people to be really conscious of, you know, what message they're sending to children, like you said. And also, you know, if I um, – I would never, ever – I'm glad you mentioned about taking photos. I would never, ever take a picture – and if I do, I always use hashtag shared with consent. I always, mm. on my Instagram account, I've got some cute baby pictures, but I get permission from the parents. Can I use this picture? But, you know, my worry is as soon as you pull out your phone, here are the children, and excuse my language, but here are the children, you know, five years of age. With that and you're making poses. Pose on. Yeah, you're doing the poses. Mm. And you're just going. <laughs> yes. And so. And, you know, you'll see the children doing the – the so all of the children are on TikTok, unfortunately, mm. and they're all doing – I did a, a workshop last weekend um, here in Perth and for childcare workers, and they were saying they're seeing two-, three-, and four-year-olds at daycare doing the, the sexy dancing at daycare. Mm. And you will have seen it out bush. They're so – you know, it's mm. just everywhere. Yes. And, and my experience of that was actually before TikTok. So I went um, to Arionga and Papanya in 2008, and I remember feeling a little confronted. Um, we went to a disco and, and everyone was dancing, which is excellent, and the community vibe was wonderful, but, but the young people there didn't um, perhaps understand the implications of some of the dance moves that they were doing, like on all fours and, and um, popping their bottom up and down or, you know, dropping low, doing these very sexualized um, dance moves. And that was in 2008, but before, I think, before TikTok yeah. and all the rest of those things. So this TikTok and um, Instagram and all those other deadly divas or whatever the chats are at the moment um, provide this this opportunity to showcase and to get this, like, likes and affection perhaps and access to predators. So, sorry, continue what you've got to say, but it's a very important issue. No, no, because I've had um, I've had Aboriginal teacher assistants come up and say, Holly, you've got to stop those are the ones doing that sexy dancing because the grade sevens were saying, you know, oh, dance for us right outside the boys' toilets and the assistants were worried that they were 
the children were going to be taken, the kids were going to be taken into the toilets and somebody was going to be touching them on their private parts. So I've incorporated it in my, um, when I do the public and private lesson, I, t- I call it private, you know, private dancing. And if Beyonce or Miley Cyrus are dancing like that, they're grown-ups, that's their business, but yeah. it's safe for little ones to dance like that yeah. because people look at you wrong way. And they get that message in their brain. They can touch you if you're shaking your private parts, and that's why I explain it to them. It's not and a judgment like, thing. Yes, well, that and that's the core aspect, isn't it? I love how you say that's private dancing because that takes away the judgment of it. We're not saying that women who dance like that are asking for anything to happen to them. We're not saying that they they can't. You can express yourself that way if you'd like to, but that's what you do in your private space. That's not what the dancing that we that perhaps is safe to share out in. Our public spaces or you know with people that we don't know and trust yeah and you know I've had Aboriginal men say oh but Holly what do you expect they get there in those little tops and they're doing all that sexy dancing I was like, I expect you to keep it in your pants mm-hmm. how dare you look at those little ones with through those eyes that's not right way mm-hmm. and you know we have to um again give the language around it but it's not it wasn't my middle-class white values. I had local people saying, Holly, we need help with this. We're desperately trying to, to stop this because yes. we're worried, you know, we're maybe not even worried about our kids when we're in our community, but we're worried if they go to sports weekend and they're doing that sexy dancing and things mm-hmm. like that. So, again, it's not judging. It's yes. just having a tight language around it that will help everybody. So I was in a community. And I think that, actually... that everybody idea is is powerful too because even though, again, we're talking remote context, there are young people everywhere exposed to TikTok or, you know, doing dance moves or whatever it is across Australia, across the world that are, are perhaps making them vulnerable to predators. So it's definitely not just a, um, a First Nations thing, but I love what you said about it coming from First Nations people and them saying this is an aspect that we want we want to work on. It's yeah, yeah. And, and I think you know, I think every- the thing is sometimes there's this general stereotype that if a family is vulnerable or having issues that they don't care about their kids or don't love their kids or, you know, that's not true either. Like you said, it came from community. They yeah. they do care deeply about their children, whether they have the skills that you then go forth and teach them or not. And, you know, one of the proudest things that I do when I'm in community, I've run over 70 workshops with solely Aboriginal men. And, you know, again, people say, white people say, you can't talk to the men about this sort of stuff. Men say, Holly, we like you because you tell a straight way. And they're our kids too. And we need to know this. We don't know how to um, to talk to our kids about this sort of stuff. We, we are worried, but we don't know. And, for instance, um, you know, there were um, 11 men last year in the Territory charged with online grooming of children on Instagram. Mm. And, you know, everybody that I talked to in when I was – so last year I was in 29 remote communities, either in the Kimberley but mostly in, in the Territory. Um, you know, and I'm there for a week. So um, the, the men want to be good dads. We just need to help them. And I was up at um, Kelkarindian. I've been there twice now. And um, we actually crashed a men's card game. <laughs> the Aboriginal health worker said, Holly, I know where the men will be. And so there were eight <laughs> men sitting down. 
another 24 men milling around just talking to each other and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and this beautiful, strong um, Aboriginal male health worker's gone, right, blokes, you need to listen to Holly. Right, off you go, Holly. And so <laughs> I thought the men would still keep playing cards, but they didn't. They either put them in their pocket or under their leg. Now, there was a huge mound of money in the centre. Mm-hmm. But I was, you know, talking to them, and it's not easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, it is quite confronting, you know, standing up in front of these blokes. But I was talking to them about um, online grooming and cyberbullying and the e-safety commission. And at my end of my talk, one of the gentlemen got up off the ground. He was playing cards with tears in his eyes and, and gave me the biggest hug and said, sister, he said, my daughter's in Darwin um, at boarding school and the girls here are jealousing her and teasing her and I'm worried she'll either take her own life or she'll quit school and come back to hit them. He said, but now, sister, I'm going to ring that, I'm going to ring her tonight and tell her about the kids' helpline and the e-safety condition and he's crying and I'm crying. It was just so beautiful. Wow. And so, you know, I want your listeners not to discount. People are doing the best job they know how. And, you know, if you don't, when you know better, you do better. And you don't know, you don't know. Yep. You can't. Yep. And I've had so many parents, um, I was in another community and a mum was saying how her 11-year-old son was so addicted to TikTok that he would say he would be up all night on TikTok. He wouldn't go to she couldn't get into school, but when he ran out of data, he'd say, "Mum, get me more data, or I'm going to kill myself." And she said, "Holly, I have to because I really believe he will." And he was beating her and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, helping parents navigate this is really important. Um, another huge thing that um, with with I, that one before you jump onto your next point with that one often as teachers where we wonder why kids aren't going to school and we might begin discussions with the parents but often if it's a situation like that where the parent doesn't know how to seek help for it and teachers don't even know to ask about you know what's their social media use like or you know, what's the situation around, um, you know, access to phone or um, computers, we we wouldn't even think to check if that's a factor keeping them away from school. So that's an important part too, that, that two-way communication with families and supporting them to overcome those issues, not perhaps that we would have the skills without doing your courses to think about the, the language across the community, but that's a very important point that we need to be thinking But please, about. if your listeners find out, please reach out to me, um, you know, either through, um, you know, my email address or even just going into the group and, and just saying, Holly, can you give us some ideas about blah, 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 because um, the next thing I was going to talk about is online gaming because, as you know, it's either TikTok or they're all on Fortnite, Minecraft or Roblox. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the, the big things, so for your listeners, um, online grooming of children is up 120% in the last two years because of kids being on technology more because of COVID. Yes. Now, I was in a tiny, tiny remote community, which is five hours drive east of Alice Springs, only eight kids in the school. Nobody would think to teach kids in that community about grooming. Mm-hmm. Now, with Aboriginal kids, I don't call it grooming because I would think brushing your hair. I call it friending them up. And um, I've developed this this lesson that I do with the children um, 
and people would say, I've got it on YouTube, how I do it if people are interested. But um, so what happened was on the Tuesday, I showed the kids a picture of a plate of fried grasshoppers because we were talking about risking on purpose. And I said to the kids, would anybody try these grasshoppers? Like, oh, gross. Yes, we don't eat bugs. And then I showed them a picture of witchetty grubs. And, um, oh, yeah, no, we'd eat those bugs, miss. We're not eating those bugs, so miss. Something was hilarious. Yes. But the kids said, so, Holly, you've tried grasshoppers. I said, yes, I've tried them in Mexico. And this young 10-year-old said, oh, miss, I've got a friend in Mexico who I've been playing uh, Roblox with, and I've invited my, you know, 10-year-old friend from Mexico to come and visit me in, in our community. I'm going, oh, yeah, okay. How do you know he's 10, mate? Oh, no, he's definitely 10. He's definitely a kid. Yeah, yeah, you know, sort of thing. Okay. On Wednesday, we did the early warning signs lesson where the kids learn about, you know, trusting your guts and butterflies in your tummy, your heart racing, and, and it's a Mr. Bean video that I showed them. The kids love the lesson. On the Thursday, I did this um, grooming lesson where we talk about friending them up, and it's a video from the UK, which is quite old. It was made in 2010, but it's about a little girl that goes into a virtual world, and there's this, always this guy there. He's always, you know, oh, don't listen to your parents, and he's friending her up, so it shows it so beautifully. Um, on the um, Friday, this kid comes to me and said, Holly, you know my friend from Mexico? I don't think that's a kid. I think that's a grown-up. He's starting to talk dirty way. He wants me to send him naked pictures. That's that friending up, isn't it, Holly? So your listeners won't see, but on my T-shirt today, I'm wearing a T-shirt. Listen to kids, believe kids, and trust your guts. Mm. Because I learned that from him. He you know, he said, Holly, I didn't trust my guts, and I've been blocking him. I've been, you know, (laughs) everything right. Now, it could have gone really badly, but, you know, nobody would think. So I want your listeners to know just because you're in a remote community, don't think this doesn't happen. Um, Because, you know, in some of the communities, I can drive from Broome to Kununurra and have mobile coverage the whole way. I live in Perth, and if I drive down to Bunbury, which is two hours, you know, down south, I can't drive the whole way and have mobile coverage. (laughs) So don't underestimate it in remotes. Mm, and it's you know it's faster it's you know it's accessible and even communities that don't have mobile coverage um and some couple of very few though that i've been in last year most do now um but there are a few that don't one of the big thing other things i talk to the children about is pornography i don't call it pornography with kids in primary school i call them private pictures and private movies Mm -hmm. and one of the things that i do with the children is I give them a map of the community and they have to mark where they feel safe green, where they feel unsafe red, where people do risky things orange, where people doing private things purple, but you need to do the whole program to, to get it right. Get to that stage. Mm-hmm. But in one community, if they didn't have mobile coverage at the time, they do now, but they didn't at the time I did this mapping thing, but the kids kept drawing this triangle. And um, I said to – so. The kids are given each their own map and they're spread across the room so there can't be any copying and things like that. But they all did did this triangle. Mm. And I went up privately and said to one of the kids, so tell me about this because on the map there's nothing there. Oh, miss, that's the phone box. Oh. So the kids were going to the shop, 
buying phone cards and listening to the sex dirty line talk. Oh, wow. I know, right? Wow. We also found out that the bigger kids were going into Alice Springs, downloading porn on USB sticks. Police stopped the cars looking for grog, but nobody's checking out your underpants looking for a USB stick in your underpants. Mm -hmm. And they were smuggling the USB sticks back into community, breaking into the shop, not stealing anything, just watching the porn on the shop's computer. Wow. That's very, um, they're using their initiative. Yeah. (laughs) So we can't doubt young people's initiative, but. Not at all. If we could just channel that for good. Also, the the access to whether or not they have access to um, internet, like you said, there are other ways to access this content, but also because our young people are often transient or move around to their families in lots of different locations, just because they don't have access in their home community doesn't mean they're not exposed in other locations. So very good point. And, and, and in regards to that um, that video, that sounds really powerful, but the listeners might also be interested in Be Deadly Online, which is the um, yes. cartoons by created for First Nations people. So that's another avenue to explore. Oh, they're brilliant. I use them all the time with the senior kids. They're fantastic. Um, but you're right about, um, you know, the transient nature because um, quite often if a kid gets into trouble, say, in Alice Springs, they're, you know, they're sent out to an auntie in a remote, yes. uh, you know, community. Yes. And so they're telling the other children. And, you know, I was in one community and a young girl came up from, you know, somewhere down in South Australia and just blew, you know, the cyberbullying went up and all of these things because the kids didn't know until she introduced it to them. Yes. And then it just ends up with, you know, fighting and it even ended up with one of the adults getting his four-wheel drive and ramming the mobile tower to try and knock it down to stop wow. the <laughs> Yes. So extreme examples as well. And I think that... That um, transiency, while it is a strength and there's this beautiful connection across many communities and this family support, it also creates perhaps vulnerabilities because young people are moving between families who might not have this language that they've learnt at one community or might not um, have an understanding of consent and and the same boundaries that the other community and other families had. So that um, idea of empowering people so they can spread the message and share is really powerful. Part of your program and when I'm in in community so I, I try and do like I've done the whole Walpree line so I've done Lajimanu even Balgo in WA um, Yundamu they all so it doesn't matter which you know school they go to hopefully they're still going to get the the lesson so if people are interested um, and the problem with our program is Principals are very passionate about it, but then when they leave, if the next principal doesn't take it on, like one of the communities I was in, I was there four times in 18 months because of the sexualised behaviour of the children. That principal left. I wasn't there for 14, for, um, for four years because they just had revolving yes. doors of principals. Yeah. Um, but then I get to go back after four years but it was so beautiful because the 13 and 14 year olds came running up, Holly, Holly, tell us uncle's story where I, I take, tend to take out my teeth and say to the kids, give me a kiss, give me a kiss. And then <laughs> yeah. I, then they sang my, one of my songs and they could all rattle off the kids' wow. help one. They hadn't heard it for four years. Wow. 
So, so it's funky and it matters. That the program has. Yes. And I think you've raised something really important of the high turnover of staff and leadership. So the listeners might um, consider themselves perhaps new to remote communities or graduates that don't have much of a say, but but reminding people or starting to talk about protective behaviours, number one, but also have what programs have we done in the past, what has worked, especially with your Aboriginal education officers, communicating with them about the powerful things that have been in place. We don't come into community thinking we need to set up this new program or change this new thing. Find out from the locals what 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 do they need, what what have they been working on, how can we be allies and support some of these programs to to move forward. Definitely, you know they're the greatest assets in schools, and yet you know quite often they're overlooked and they're disempowered. But you know, like I said, in in some communities they've been there for twenty five years and and they set the school up in the first place. Yes, and so I think part of that, that part of that is. Um, I know we, my partner Carl talks about um, getting new person fatigue, like they, with these new people that perhaps aren't culturally aware or don't think to ask, if, if you have to keep giving this information without people actively seeking it themselves or valuing your input or asking for it or, in, you know, empowering you to do things, you kind of get a little bit exhausted and fatigued of just, you know, this, this turnover, this, this kind of um, taking without without using initiative and, and giving and, and being part of the community as well. So, yeah. And understanding, you know, we've just come off school holidays. They were there the whole time. So they don't get any respite from it. They can't go, you know, away. Mm-hmm. But also I find in most communities it's the strong women that are in the schools and, you know, I've been in schools where there's Aboriginal men, which are great, uh, one particular, he's also the um, the the preacher and stuff like that. But then they're on every community committee going as well, and they're being taken out to have to go and sort out, you know, That's right. land council and on the school holidays. <clears throat> on the school holidays, they are the ones supporting the the students with mental health or their young people with mental health or suicide or or bullying. Like you said, they're the ones that are spread thin. The community people are the ones spread thin. And it, it's especially highlighted recently. Um, one of the communities that I used to work in, all the youth workers went away to spend time with their family at Christmas, but that leaves this big gap where it is a local people who are running the programs and, and doing everything where we've got service providers that are being paid to do it and they aren't there in some of the key critical times. So, again, this protective behaviours work is in local communities is really important and powerful. Question for you, um, what what should teachers be doing and modelling every day um, in regards to that consent idea or safe touch and boundaries? What 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 are the kind of the core behaviours that teachers need to be really thinking about in their practice? So like you said, asking for permission to high five. and But it's also simple things like I teach kids thumb up for safe and the thumb down for unsafe. It's such a simple tool. Um, and so I was in one community and, and um, on the Monday um, I had the four-year-olds and with the help of the beautiful assistant, we did two-way learning and she was explaining that the language words were safe and unsafe. Mm-hmm. And um, But at the end of the day I was leaving the school and there were two big kids up on the roof and here are the four-year-olds going, get down off there, unsafe, and pointing the thumb down. It's such a simple thing, but that was after one lesson. Mm-hmm. On the Thursday, I go down to the clinic 
and I showed the doctor and the nurses safe and unsafe. And one of the nurses goes, oh, thank goodness for that, because the kids are all sitting on the bed going, you know, with their thumb down. Yes. And, and the staff didn't know because they were being immunised. Yes. And so, oh, thank goodness, now I know. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I would really recommend people do is, my first lesson whenever I'm in any school is I teach the children something called either the Superman or the Wonder Woman. And I'll invite a child to come and stand next to me and I say, if I hit you and then you hit me back, who always gets caught? And the kids know it's a retaliator. So I teach them to with their stand with their feet apart, their hands on their hips, their shoulders back, their head up, and they have to say, stop, unsafe, if they're little. And, and again, depending on the language, because, you know, I've been in communities where they're still learning in language until grade three and then in grade three they start learning mm-hmm. English. So, again, work with the assistants so that they can learn both in, in the language group as well as um, the language as well as English. But we take it a step further and then they have to say, stop it. I don't like it. Holly, stop it. I don't like it when you pull my hair. And it's to, it's so funny because it's, people say, why do you do that? I'm actually teaching children how to make a disclosure without them really knowing that because they need to name the behaviours. Yes. So it's just a small little foundation part. But once they've mastered that and then with older children, I would stare at a child and they have to say, Holly, stop it. I don't like it when you stare at me. It makes me feel and tell me a feelings word. And even kids in mainstream here in Perth, when I in grade six, when I say, how do you feel, most kids say sad. But if I'm staring at you, it doesn't make you feel sad. Mm-hmm. So we brainstorm. It might make you feel angry, annoyed, furious, yes. frustrated. But, you know, I'll hear Giving kids that language. Stop it. I don't like it when you draw on my work. It makes me angry. And yes. so if the teacher's back's turned or the assistant's back's turned, they can generally stop drawing on that kid's work. Mm. So it's such a simple thing. And you're giving them sentence starters to be assertive. You're teaching them how to to hold those boundaries. Yes, brilliant. And so, you know, some of the children will be very timid, but, you know, they're sort of all hunched over. Pull out your Wonder Woman, pull out your Superman. Um, Or you can be any superhero you want if you want to be Spider-Man or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, again, it's just giving them a platform. Um, Heaven forbid should something happen. So, and I think also it, it's creating that um, that class culture that that's what you do when you when you're confronted. So they get to practice in a safe environment, having these boundaries and standing up. So that then later, if they have to face it in a different environment, they've built up that skill, that knowledge, that confidence with using this strategy that you've taught them too. Hmm. Another simple, simple thing that you know many teachers will be doing as part of their pedagogy anyway is. We really need to help children be able to tell a narrative. So I actually have a little um, Aboriginal puppet. And when we do the public and private lesson, he'll come up and say to me, so we've brainstormed, you know, public and private rooms and places and body functions and behaviour and pictures and dancing. And mm. but then we and we say that no, it's really important that the children know both in language but also in English the name for their private parts. Mm-hmm. So at the end of that, Braden, the Puppet will come up and say, Holly, the boy next door, he didn't touch me down there. And I'll say to the children, where did he touch him? Oh, Holly, he touched his penis. Huh? He didn't tell me that story. He just said down there. Down there could be his toes, could be his knees, could yes. be his body, his penis, his testicles. 
Which is an issue with convictions and and if it becomes into a further justice issue, yes. Exactly, exactly. And also we need to, so we'll give him a second go and he comes, Holly, Joe from next door touched my penis behind the shops yesterday after school because Mm -hmm. the kids need to be able to tell us the who, the what, the when, the where. Yes. But the spin-off if this is, and if your listeners have been in communities for a while, they'll really be able to relate to this. Those who are new get on board with this because it happens all the time. Kids will go home after school and say to a family member, so-and-so didn't punch me today at school, and then the parents up to the school wants to bash the kid, bash the parent, bash, you know, bash the principal, mm-hmm. everybody's in trouble. They don't go home and say, Mum, I've been swearing at that kid. Yes. And then he then he didn't punch me. Yes. So with community people, I say, ask your child to tell you the whole the story. story. Yes. Not just the bit that doesn't get them into trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, I've been in so many communities where, you know, feuds have happened because everybody the wants to defend their issue. child, yes. but they don't get to the bottom of it. They just, you know, they go from zero mm-hmm. to 100 and then just it's on like Donkey Kong. Yes. So teaching so, that ability to tell the story. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it's so, you know, it just, it's not about, like you said earlier, it's not about sexual abuse. They're just good teaching practices. Yes. But the spin-off is, should a child ever have to disclose, because we have such a low conviction rate against, um, mm. you know, perpetrators. And quite often I'll have people saying, oh, well, you know, the, the judge should just learn language. But there is, you know, so many different language groups mm-hmm. that, you know, we they children need to know the words. And also people say, well, you just get an interpreter in. But the interpreter could be either from the child's family or from the perpetrator's family yes. and then they can be paid back and all of yes. this stuff. And people just don't realise, you know, until you're in communities and you know about culture and, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's why lots of people don't disclose because of payback. And I've been in communities where girls have disclosed, and it's not only girls that are abused. In fact, most experts believe boys are more sexually abused than girls. Mm-hmm. But I was in communities where girls were made to retract their story, the mm-hmm. pressure from families, you know, you're shaming us and all this sort of stuff. And then people are saying, oh, they're little liars. That, that one, she's a little liar. Yes. No, she's not. Mm-hmm. But that's why I do so much work with the community themselves about supporting because people. too many mm-hmm. of these young people are dying. Mm-hmm. Our suicide rate, especially in the Kimberley, is the highest in the world for teenagers, and we can't have that. Yeah. Um, some of your listeners might have looked at the um, findings of the the thirteen suicides that of kids that we had in the Kimberley. Bless. She made one 42 recommendations, lying. the coroner, but not one recommendation was for abuse prevention education. Mm-hmm. When we know definitely six of those young people were sexually abused, my gut feeling is the others probably were, we just don't know about it. How do you not recommend programs like mine to give kids words? And I'm not promising your listeners that this is a magic wand. Mm. Kids may know everything about it and still bad things may happen, yes. but we can get them to tell us sooner. And we can get them to ring the kids' helpline, which is out of everything that I teach, is probably the most valuable lesson I do with children. 
And I think um, that importance of telling the whole stories becomes extra important when we're talking about accessing services because if young people aren't able to tell the whole story the first time that they engage with, whether it's the kids' helpline or the police or whoever it is, sometimes, like you said, there are other impacts that then make them retract their story or they might move to a different community or they might, you know, different aspects happen. So the importance of, of giving all that or as much information as possible the first time that they connect is very important. Mm. No, Wonderful. definitely. Um, I, I really would encourage your listeners to, um, and again, I've got it on YouTube how I do it, but to physically ring the kids' helpline with the classes. Wow. If I go into any school that I've been in, um, the first thing, the kids will all remember the kids' helpline number because I physically do it with every class. And I actually had the kids' helpline ring me go, Holly, we love you because we're having so many Central Desert kids ring us, but we don't know how to talk to Aboriginal kids. Because if a white child rang and said, you know, they were quiet, they would cajole them and they would say, oh, who's your footy team? And, you know, don't do that with an Aboriginal kid because that would just send them into their shell. The fact that they're just on the phone is enough. And so... They said, look, Holly, would you do a training for us? So I did an hour and a half Zoom that was shown to um, all of the workers at the Kids Helpline because I said to them, what if a child rang and said he's been larrikin with me or he's been cheeky with me? Would your counsellors know what the child was talking about? And they'd go, oh, we would think they were being teased. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that might be a way an Aboriginal child was saying they were being sexually abused. And they've gone, holy mackerel, we didn't realise that. But by physically ringing the kids' helpline, um, I can tell you something, but when they can actually, you know, experience, experience it, it. I've got yeah. a big long list of everything that I tell them about the kids' helpline, mm-hmm. and then I say, um, I'm going to ring them. And I really, um, by doing it, you, you just never know. Um, I've, I've been in communities where kids have said, Holly, I've been ringing that kids helpline now about four or five times and I just talk and talk until that anger goes away. But I was. I would never have even thought to, to call them. I would have felt as a teacher with my class or whatever that I was, um, like being a pest or like taking up resources. But like you said, you need to know who you're calling and what it's going to, the experience is going to be like to take away the fear and the shame of doing it. So wow, what a powerful activity. And the fact that there's, you know, now 240 different counsellors. So I encourage teachers to do it at the end of every term because every time you ring, um, you get a different experience. And I've probably done this over 500 times now and I've probably had seven duds. But I say to kids, they're pretty rubbish. I would ring them again. And then you explain it. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I go through... um, you know, it's seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year, and it's all of this stuff. I've got a big long list that um, I can give you the handout to if you want to share it. It's all on my website. Mm. But then I say, hi, I'm in a remote Aboriginal community with 10-year-olds. So they go, okay, they're 10, but their English is probably going to be around, a, you know, maybe an 8-year-old. So I get them to tell us about the kids' helpline. I've already told them everything, but they reiterate it. Then I say, um, so what do 10-year-olds normally ring about? 
and they say, oh, it might be, you know, trouble at school, bullying, trouble at home, and they go through. Now, if they were 15, they pitch it to 15-year-olds. They say, oh, it might be cutting or boyfriend trouble or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't want them talking to 10-year-olds about cutting, so that's why I tell them the age of the children. Yes. Then I said, I say, what if a child said they swore at their mum? Would you growl at them? Oh, no, we never growl at children. We would simply say, why do you feel like you had to swear at your mum? Mm. And we'd ask them about that. So I need the kids to hear they're never going to be judged or told off. Yes. Then I say to the children, has anybody got a question? Now, out bush, most kids say, what footy team do you barrack for? (laughs) (laughs) Bless them. It's a religion for people that Uh don't know. It's a footy's a religion. But um, I, so I get kids to ask questions. Now, I was up in Broome last year and I had 50 grade five sixes. And I said to the kids, has anybody got a question? And only one young woman who's in grade six put up her hand. And I take my phone over and say, okay, sweetie, ask your question. And she said to the counsellor, do you ever feel overwhelmed with what you hear? And I've gone, whoa. Wow. Yeah. I've never had any child ask such a profound question. So mm. the counsellor handled it so beautifully and said, oh, you know, kids, you don't need to worry about us. We have safety teams too. We have people we can talk to, so don't ever think you have to worry about us or, you know, look after us. We're here to support you. And they handled it so beautifully. I was so excited. Beautiful. But at the end... um, of the lesson, we hang up and I go up to this young girl as she's going out the door because it was phone time. I said, look, sweetie, well done. What a great question. And she said, oh, miss, something really bad happened to me. And she said, um, I rang the kids' helpline, but because I had to wait so long, and this is why I recommend your listeners do it with the kids, because the longest I've ever had to wait was 45 minutes. Kids think you just pick up the phone and you talk to people and you don't always. So this young girl had to wait for a long time. So in her head, she's gone, no, nah, no, nah, I can't tell him. I'm going to upset him. And she hung up. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I set up. I said, well, sweetie, it's not too late. You know, you can still ring them. You've seen what it's like today. Go back and, you know, if you need to talk. And I went and saw the school chaplain and put lots of things in place for her. But what broke my heart was I went up to her teacher and said, wow, you must be so proud of that young woman. And she said, oh, I wouldn't believe anything that came out of her mouth. Wow. I was gutted. I was yes. absolutely gutted. Wow. Because, um, you know, I don't care if she's the naughtiest kid in the school. Again, mm-hmm. behaviour is, you know, she's she's needing help and you're just wow. like, you won't be on her safety team, will you? Mm. And so for your listeners to, to do it with the kids, um, but also just remember that behaviour is communication and, you know, I just need to keep reiterating that because they're not naughty children. Their behaviours <laughs> are challenging. Yes. But they're asking for help and if we can give them these strategies to, you know, like meeting the kids' helpline and knowing that somebody's going to be there. And the beauty is, say you worked at the kids' helpline, once I know you, I can keep ringing you. I yes. know your name. So I don't have to keep telling every man and his dog. Oh, I brilliant. Say, I speak to you. If you're not there that day, whoever picks up the phone is a counsellor. They're going to say, look, she's not here today, but she'll be back in on Sunday between such and such and such and such. Mm-hmm. But also 
and this is again is so important for kids out bush. They if they need ongoing, so if a child in Alice Springs is abused, they can go to SARC. Mm-hmm. It'll take six weeks, but they'll get to see a counsellor eventually. Okay. Out bush, there's nothing for our kids. So mm-hmm. if I know you and I've got a relationship with you, I can arrange that at two o'clock on a Friday afternoon, Brilliant. I can go into the opposite school and have ongoing counselling. Wow, that's so powerful. Oh, and that makes me think when I, um, when I was in Halls Creek, we, we had deaths of students and we had a response team come, I think maybe a week later and they stayed for a week and we didn't have a school counsellor at that time. We had a travelling psych that came to the clinic to CAMS, um, but that was it. And our young people were, and the staff were left high and dry with how to support the young people through this crisis, which happens so often, like you spoke about the high suicide rates in the Kimberley. So, um, the fact that there is a, an actual tangible psychology service is amazing. And I've actually myself, and I've been working remote for like seven, ten, a lot of years. Um, I didn't realize this about Kids Helpline. That is amazing. How, ah, oh, brilliant to hear. But it, and it is amazing. And the fact that they can have ongoing counseling, um, they don't have to keep telling their story to every man yes. and his dog. Yes. But you just don't know. The impact. I was in a school last year where there was um, a teenage suicide mm-hmm. um, two weeks earlier before I was there, and on the um, on the Monday, the best friend of the child that died um, said to the principal, "I don't want to be here either," and we were really concerned yes. that this little one, um, she was fifteen and she was going to join her friend. Mm-hmm. So. She sat in on all the lessons, but we let her sit on a beanbag with a blanket over her. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes face-to-face, especially if kids have got stuff going on, and that's why I need to be in classrooms to watch body language. Yes. That's why I can't zoom in. Yeah. Um, you know, by the Tuesday, she's sort of peeking out of the blanket. On the Wednesday, I rang the kids' helpline um, with the whole class. Now, again, for your listeners, as well as ringing them, I'd encourage them to ring them first, but then I would say um, you can actually go on to Kids Helpline at schools and you can Skype them. So they've got a list of about 15 lessons they can do with children. So you can go, I want a, a lesson about friendship or a lesson about cyberbullying Wednesday at 2 o'clock in tea time or whatever. Um, and it's really interactive and, and it's great. So I unfortunately if people want to do it I would book in now because you still may not get in until third term because they're so booked sure. out but because I've yeah. worked quite closely with them and we had this critical incident mm-hmm. I actually jumped the queue and I contacted them I've got a contact there and I contacted him and said look can you pull me some strings I've just had this incident so we actually zoomed them she by this stage is sitting up in the joined the class just sitting up and, and really involved with everything on the Friday, she goes to the principal, when I grow up, I'm going to uni, I'm going to do Holly's job. Wow. Oh, how amazing. Story. Oh. And, and when she does, imagine how powerful that will be, having someone on ground with her experience, her knowledge and her cultural awareness, how powerful will that be? I can't yeah. wait to hear the story in 10 years, Holly, when you tell us that she has. That will be the best story ever. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. So, you know, again, for your listeners, 
you will never know oh, the impact yeah. by teaching this that you'll have. Yeah. I will yeah. never know how many kids were not sexually abused by what I taught them. But the ramifications, you know, they'll teach this to their children and, yes. you know, it's intergenerational. Breaking that cycle of trauma. Yes, yes. Very powerful. I am aware that I've, I've held you for a long time. Can I ask you another question or are you busy to get somewhere yeah, no. else? It's all good. Okay. Um, before, when we spoke about um, what teachers can do, you spoke a lot about the programs or the lessons or how they, like this kid's helpline idea, how they can do things with the student. But I just want to track back to um, at university, we're obviously taught we're not meant to hug and touch students and, and you know, add them on Facebook as our friends and all those kind of basic things. But sometimes this common sense stuff in remote communities doesn't feel so common sense because like you spoke about before, um, sometimes our young people have these lack of boundaries and there's, you know, the touching of the hair. I had children come up to pick my pimples. Like there's, <laughs> there's definitely <laughs> old list. Um, uh, and sometimes a lack of boundaries or understanding of what appropriate um, interactions are. Thinking about that, for new remote teachers, what are some of the absolute basic things? Like, obviously, you were talking about grabbing kids and putting them on our laps, um, you know, hugging students, or is a hand on the – may I put my hand on your shoulder to comfort you? Or what are the kind of um, 101 appropriate physical or um, verbal interactions? Like, what are the basics? So we all are of that. Just, just modelling that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you were holding a toddler and I wanted to have a cuddle, I'd go, can I have a cuddle, God? And I'd put out my hands, pat my hands together and then put them out as if I was going to take them. Mm-hmm. If a child comes to me, I would take them. But if they cuddle into their mum, I wouldn't. And so I'm always modelling. And so, you know, and then I say to the grown-ups, we can teach kids, um, you know, about this word consent because I have never, ever been able to find in any Aboriginal dialect a word for consent. Um, when I was in Yundamu, I don't know if it's still on the radio, but um, I haven't been to Yundamu for about five years now, unfortunately, but when I was there before, I know the radio station was running ads both in Walpuri and in English around consent. Um, because and you of the knew it because they were saying consent instead of it in language. Yeah, yeah. So they have to describe it out because there's not one single word for it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just modelling that as much as possible and, you know, especially that the new graduates will be sitting, you know, reading a big book or whatever with the kids on the mat time and they'll see children, you know, poking each other. They just can't. They just are very tactile <laughs> people. Yeah. Um, but that's it can start off as, you know, just – but then it, they niggle and niggle and niggle and then it ends up in big fisticuffs. Yeah. So if you catch a child out of the corner of your eye, I would put the big book down and just just, now what do you have to say? You have to say, stop it. I don't like it, remember? Yes. And just get the children to understand. Um, and if they are seeing children that are having to touch, you know, having little fidget toys. Yes. Um, and then I've got a whole bag that I What's take. What's the message of the behaviour? The message is that they need to be sensory, have that sensory. Yeah. Input, yeah. yes. So the message isn't that they, you know, want to be touching and causing fights. It is that they need the sensory. So what's the message of the behaviour like you've been saying before? Yeah, mm. yeah. And so, you know, I've got marble bags where you've got to get the marble around the track and, and just things because the other thing is for your 
listeners to know that Aboriginal kids especially are very peripheral learners. They know everything that's going on around them. So even, and this was brought home to me, um, I was up in Fitzroy Crossing and I was in a class with mostly, like they had most of the children with BASD in this particular class. Mm-hmm. And these kids were under the table and at the window and, you know, doing all this stuff. And I thought, oh, you little devil, you're not listening to me. And I'm going to, you know, ask you a question. So he could tell me every single thing I said. He, he knew it. <laughs> and so, yes. um, you know. So acknowledging yeah, lots of teachers get really, oh, Holly, I'll send them to the office. They're not listening. No. The kids that challenge us the most, there sometimes are reasons they want to be sent out of the class. Um, and this was brought home to me um, in a school. And it's where, about putting the structures in place to support them, isn't it, as well? If they're a regular yeah. or they're a sensory input or they need to be, you know, moving to learn, putting those structures in place, not punishing the behaviour because we're not understanding the purpose of it. Yes. Exactly. Um you know, I was in a, a, a school and the kids, um, the teacher said, Holly, sometimes we're very monotone and, you know, kids need, you know, to be moving and, and breaking it up and things like that. So um, just thinking about your practice and remembering that, you know, they are testing us, but like I was in one school and we knew this particular, there was a little boy in this class who had been abused, unfortunately. And um, he he was being really naughty because it was just too uncomfortable for him to be there. His early morning signs were going off. Yeah. So in the end, the teacher, I had the patience of a saint and it, I just can, you know, I don't ever let it stop me. Mm-hmm. In fact, I've presented in the Kimberley with a crying baby on my hip in a dust storm with people fighting up the road and a dog humping my leg. Oh, shot me. <laughs> but this little fellow, um, the teacher just lost her rag and said, right, get out, go to the principal. And mm-hmm. he's got it, you know, swore at her and carried on. He went out, he opened the door, he sat down, he pulled the door shut because he knew he had to listen, but he could, he, you know, he couldn't see me face to face. That was too much for him. Yes. So I'd ask a question. He'd fling the door open, answer his amazing question, then pull the door shut. Yes. So the next day, um, the, the classroom had a setup where they had a, um, a library with books in the back of that. So I let him sit there. I'd ask a question. I'd see this hand over the bookshelf. <laughs> yes, mate. What's your, you know, what's the answer? Mm-hmm. He'd answer it, but he didn't have to face me. Yes. So, you know, for your Finding these ways. Mm. And, you know, find out their backstory, not in a yeah. gossipy way, but, you know, just think about how can we make this work for these young people. And I think the thing that you were saying about um, reinforcing and modelling it ourselves, like you mentioned before with FASD or learning disorders or even trauma when you're not ready to hear it when you're um, in your downstairs brain, you're, this repetition and this modelling of behaviour no, you're not allowed to sit on my lap, but you can sit next to me. Or may I put my hand on your shoulder? Or can I show you this? This modelling of consent language for new teachers is important. Mm. And also, you know, they, the kids are going to want to, there's going to be a day that you go to school where you haven't shaved your legs. <laughs> you'll have male teachers listening to this. And, you know, they want to rub their hand up and down your leg sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's not appropriate. And so, you know, it, it's 
giving them the clear language around it. You're the boss of your body and I'm the boss of my body and that's making me feel uncomfortable and and, having those conversations. Thank you so much, Holly Ann. That, that was very informative and an amazing conversation. I'm sure heaps of people got so much from it. Can you tell us your website before you go, how we can access you? So, um, I have my Facebook, sorry, my you, my website is um, www.safe4kids, and it's how you say it, it's not with a Z, kids.com.au. My Facebook page is the same, Instagram's the same. And there'd be links on your um, website. Yeah. My YouTube channel has got loads and loads of free resources and, and training. And, and Holly Ann, unfortunately, you've had um, a whole lot of cancellations due to COVID restrictions. So your availability for schools all across WA has opened up. So if people want to chat with you, they're available all of 22 as long as things don't get booked up. Yes. Oh, no. Thank you for that. That's very kind. Yeah. Um, it's, I was supposed to be going to the Territory um, in two weeks for the whole term and it's all been cancelled. So, um, yeah, if anybody's interested in wanting to know more about the program, I welcome their call. Thank you so much for your time, Holly Ann. And just a reminder to go back through all our other podcasts where we interview experts from across remote outback communities, service providers and more. See if there's another episode that might interest you. See you again soon. The Remote Teacher, www.theremoteteacher.com.au. Blog, podcast, shop and professional development.